When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth Shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make Shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Mother's Day is around the corner. Find the perfect gift for the mom in your life with a stunning piece of jewelry from Blue Nile. From timeless pearls to dazzling gemstones, Blue Nile has something she'll adore. Need a fast? Most items can ship overnight. Plus, enjoy guaranteed free shipping and returns. Don't miss our special Mother's Day deals. Save big on the season's most beautiful trends. For a limited time, get up to 50% off by going to BlueNile.com. That's BlueNile.com. you can follow the Patriots Beat podcast on Twitter at Patriots Beat and of course get on to CLNS Radio at CLNS Radio and then on Facebook www.facebook.com slash CLNS fans you can also follow our podcast on Facebook by going to www.facebook.com slash Patriots Beat podcast Bobby what a great win by the New England Patriots the other night on Sunday Night Football against the San Diego Superchargers. It was a throwback win, if you ask me, for the New England Patriots. It was a game where the offense struggled at times, especially since Tom Brady threw the interception to Mante Teo all through the third quarter uh, and into the beginning of the first quarter when the offense was bad. Over the last five to six years, when Tom Brady in the offense has been horrible, the Patriots have not won those games. This is a game that the New England Patriots won, and they won on the strength of their defense. This, to me, was the best win by a Patriots team defensive-wise since the 2004 playoffs when they shut down the high-flying uh, Peyton Manning and the Colts at 23. Of course, that was a year that the Patriots went on to win the Super Bowl. 23-14, to 14, the Patriots beat the Chargers on Sunday Night Football, and seven of those 14 points came on the Brandon LaFell fumble. Let's talk a little bit about this defense after a rough go of it on third down against the Green Bay Packers. They come back on the West Coast and absolutely slam the door shut on a very talented San Diego Chargers team. Jeff, this checked a lot of the boxes off 
for things that Patriots fans have been wanting to see these last few years to know, okay, just how legitimate of a Super Bowl contender do we really have here in Foxborough? The offense struggles. Can the defense carry them? Check. Can they win a road game against a quality opponent? Check. Can we shut down a high-quality offense? Check. This defense did this time and time again. And the key, the barometer for this Patriots defense the last two weeks, and I expect it to be going forward, is third-down defense. They gave up 10 of 17 against Green Bay, couldn't get off the field, and it resulted in the Packers putting up extra points and extending drives, keeping Tom Brady off the field. And then Sunday night, third-down defense, held San Diego to 4 of 13 on third down. So they were terrific at that, at ending the Chargers' drives and giving that offense more and more opportunities to get in sync. And finally, they broke through with the Julian Edelman touchdown. It was unreal. Going back to the Green Bay Packers game, that is now six quarters that the New England Patriots have played some pretty dang good football when it came to the defensive side of the ball, holding the Packers to three points uh, in the second half, and again, seven points against the defense. That's ten points in six quarters. They are hitting their stride, and they are hitting their stride well. And let me tell you right now, Darrell Revis played his best game in a New England Patriots uniform on Sunday night. He really did. He blanketed Keenan Allen. The Chargers didn't even look his way. I don't know if that was determined going in. Well, Keenan Allen, we'll see you next week. Or if that was just they saw the way things were playing out and said, we're going to have to beat the Patriots in other ways. But he was all over Keenan Allen. Like I said, one catch for three yards, so that was nothing. And he's the focal point of this defense. So between the versatility of players like Rob Ninkovich, Akeem Ayers, Jamie Collins, Dante Hightower, and then having that premier shutdown cornerback, in my mind, Revis is the best at the position. It just allows this defense to impose their will regardless of venue, regardless of what type of game it is, and regardless of who they're playing. I couldn't agree with you more there. And 54 plays by the Chargers for 216 yards. That's four yards a play. That is some dominating, dominating defense by the New England Patriots. Again, I am so impressed with what they were able to do. We talked. You talked about it two seconds ago with how they were 10 of 17 on third down, holding the Chargers for 4 of 13. Um, we talked about it last week on Patriots Beat, how the Patriots needed to run more plays, uh, and they ran 73. Um, the block punt, uh, we all know that I'm not a huge fan of Brandon Bolden as a running back, but he's made a couple really good plays now on special teams um, over the last couple weeks. Uh, the block punt, that, of course, that changed the complexity of that game right there. And then, of course, against the um, – I don't remember exactly who it was that they were playing against, but he uh, caused the fumble that Kyle Arrington returned for the touchdown. Cincinnati. Uh, Cincinnati, yes. It just He's playing pretty good on special teams. It goes to show you why uh, Bill Belichick is sometimes a genius – Um, because he keeps guys around that have specific roles, and Brandon Bolden has run that specific role very well, especially on the special teams side of the ball. Jeff, no one's clamoring for Brandon Bolden to get more touches as a running back, but special teams is why he still has a roster spot. We know how much Belichick values that, and once again, he came through on Sunday night because the key 
was not just the momentum that comes with blocking the punt, but the rest of that game, the whole second half, the Chargers continuously were backed up, taking over from inside their own 20. And that was huge in allowing the Patriots defense to stop them. The Patriots would then get the ball around close to midfield and just got so many cracks at that that it allowed them to first kick the field goal to go up 16-14, to 14, and then eventually, even after a better kick from Nick Novak, the offense had already found its rhythm, established the running game a little bit more, and they hit Julian Edelman off a of play action for a 69-yard touchdown. So the field position that that play, the Bolden blocked punt set up, was huge the rest of the night. Oh, it was, and, and, and the fact that you got the, uh, the punter injured on that play, um, as you were alluding to with uh, Nick Novak having to kick the ball, um, they were able to do some things there that it really changed, as we said, the complexity of the game um, extremely, extremely well. A guy I really want to point out, and I think both of us picked Jamie Collins to be uh, the player of the game on defense. We figured it would be his ability to cover um, Antonio Gates, but it was his ability to do everything, cover Gates, cover. Uh, he had a couple plays where he was in a short zone covering Keenan Allen on, on the crossing routes. And, of course, that A-gap pressure up the middle that they relied for two sacks uh, on uh, Phillip Rivers. Just a great all-around game by the second-year uh, linebacker who continues to improve had a rough start to the season with that uh, leg injury, but ever since he's come off the uh, the injury report, he continues to re- improve every single week. And this week, we saw him with the green dot for the communications with Donta Hightower being out for the game. Your thoughts on how Jamie Collins is evolving in this defense? Yeah, he really does get better week to week. And what you just mentioned right there, him having the green dot taking over for Donta Hightower leading the defense. That was what most impressed me about Collins' performance on Sunday. His ability to communicate, put everyone in the right spot throughout the entire game. You never saw guys out of position. His his job leading that defense was excellent and something that you hadn't really seen from Collins. He hadn't been asked to do. So I didn't know how he was going to perform in that role, but he handled it beautifully. And you can see that this is a player who's ready to take his game to the next level. He is extremely, extremely, extremely good. I really like what they've done uh, with this team, what they've done with the draft picks from last year. Um, Jamie Collins, of course, uh, was drafted as one of the uh, the picks acquired from the Minnesota Vikings uh, that landed them uh, Cordelli Patterson. Uh, Patterson has fallen off a little bit his second year in the league, not quite as uh, great as he was or as electric as he was in the first year. And now you have a guy like Jamie Collins, who was part of that draft pick. Uh, Logan Ryan, who uh, hasn't been as great this year as he was last year, and I don't want to call him great last year, but he was sound. There's been some times where he's been beaten up. Devontae Adams hurt him against the Green Bay Packers. Uh, But he's a solid uh, third or fourth cornerback. Of course, Deron Harmon out there playing a little safety, a little bit of rover. He played a lot of... um, when he was out there in passing situations, he was playing that center field uh, with Devin McCourty up towards the line of scrimmage more often. Uh, I like that look by the Patriots. Uh, your thoughts there on that look for the New England Patriots? Yeah, they threw a ton of different looks at Antonio Gates. Sometimes they even had three defenders focus their attention 
solely on Gates, where they'd bump him and they'd stay in the zone, but they weren't stranding too far over to the rest of their assigned area. They were sticking close by Antonio Gates. So the Patriots, Bill Belichick, he threw the book at Gates on Sunday, and it largely worked. Gates had five catches, 34 yards on eight targets, no touchdowns. So I would say they did a pretty good job overall against him. And Jeff, another play, a catch by Gates at the end of the game. That hit by Tavon Wilson, that was textbook, textbook. And it summed up the night on how this defense dominated the Chargers and put the stamp on why they won this game. Uh, yeah, exactly. It put the stamp on it. Tavon Wilson holding him uh, from getting that first down. Tavon Wilson's uh, shown up a couple times this year. Uh, you know, Bill Belichick gets a lot of crap for some of his drafts. Um, you know, he doesn't always get the right person. Uh, a guy like Tavon Wilson was uh, considered a reach. And while you would like to see some more things out of you know, a second-round pick. He's made some plays on defense and on special teams. That was a good play there. Uh, he's coming into his own a little bit. Uh, he really, to me, had a very good start to his rookie season with four interceptions, uh, but then they acquired a keep to leave, and he kind of just dropped off the face of the earth. But you're starting to see him make some plays. But you're right, the way that they held Gates really showed what they're what they're capable of doing. Yeah, this is a versatile defense. You look at some of the guys who they got big performances out of, Jonathan Casillas, Akeem Ayers, Alan Branch. Most people did not know these names until they came to the Patriots. And you look at the versatility they bring to the table, how they've stepped up into their respective roles and been key contributors ever since coming to New England. Exactly. And this continued to wax poetically here on the New England Patriots defense. Um, all over the place. Akeem Ayers uh, coming up with an interception. Uh, you know, we've seen him get after the quarterback. He showed his ability to play off the line and in coverage on Sunday Night Football, and that was that was a very nice interception to uh, thwart, uh, thwart the deepest penetration that the San Diego Chargers had into New England Patriots territory in the second half. Uh, they played very well. If I'm going to give one downplay, and it's not even to the uh, – Patriots defense, it's more towards the NFL referees and the NFL in general, is the hit that uh, was given by Brandon Browner, a very clean hit in my eyes. Uh, intercepted by Devin McCourty, and he ran it back for a touchdown, but it was called back for helmet to helmet, and it was a textbook shoulder into a shoulder. I'm looking and I'm saying shame on the NFL. These plays could, I mean, if this is a Super Bowl, and they call that play on a legal hit by Brandon Browner, this could cost someone somewhere. I think this is the type of play that needs to be reviewable. It is so difficult for the refs to make that decision in the split second where all they really see is Ladarius Green's head jerk back. Of course they're going to call that instinctively, so it's more of a reactive call, and it's why they need to be able to go take a second look slow things down, and they will see, just like you said, it was shoulder to shoulder. He got a little bit higher than that, but that was a clean hit. Browner's helmet was clearly to the side of green, so I had no problem with the hit. Now, it is the type of play that the league is trying to take out of the game, so maybe they review that and still decide to uphold the call, but it still warrants a second look, 
so that they can just slow things down and get a more clear view of what actually happened. I agree with you there. It'll be interesting to see what happens this offseason with the competition committee um, and what they decide to do. Uh, you know, they came out last year and got more onto the, uh, you know, defensive holding, defensive pass interference. Uh, right now, I, I think it's a hindrance to the game. It's allowing the offense to move at, at, at rates that we haven't seen before. And the illegal hands to the face by offensive linemen have taken back, you know, very good plays by both offense and defensive players. It'll be interesting to see if they tweak the rules this year uh, as far as what they've done uh, this offseason, this past offseason with the uh, with the defensive emphasis and, of course, hands to the face. And I, will, I would be very happy if they came out and went to a reviewable system for penalties, and, and, and not all penalties. I mean, I don't want to review every holding call, you know, or false start. I mean, those are obviously judgment calls, and you're fine. And I understand it's a judgment call, a snap judgment call on a hit, but if the player is clearly taking his shoulder and is a clear hit, you got to allow these guys to play football at one one point or another. Yeah, and it seems like most of these rule changes – are favoring the offense and trying to promote scoring and passing and making it a more entertaining game, a more aesthetically pleasing game. But the problem is that what makes football unique is the physicality of it. That's what people want to see. So I really think these changes are unnecessary and they're more for fantasy football lovers and for ratings than improving the quality of the game. And that's what I have a problem with. No, oh, definitely. Offensive side of the ball now. Let's let, let's swap it up a little bit here because, as we said to start off the uh, the beginning of this uh, podcast, the Patriots' offense didn't seem like it was always clicking on all cylinders um, when they first got the ball. When they when they when they got the punt back from the Chargers, of course they won the t- toss and deferred. They marched right down the field. Uh, right down the field, they ran the ball well, passed the ball nice, they got down to the one-yard line, and then they got a little cute. Uh, you know, back-to-back passes. I mean, you had just shown the, the San Diego Chargers who was boss. You were setting up your, your offensive line. You have a 255-pound running back in LeGarrette Blount who played very well on that first drive, and you don't slam it in. Explain to me the decision there because – I'm really starting to get a little sick of this, you know, run the ball once down by the goal line or a quick hurry up run it down the goal line, and then it's pass, pass when you're less than a foot away. Yeah, I just don't understand Josh McDaniel's thinking, especially that first drive where, like you said, it was about 17 plays, almost all of them runs, and they march all the way down from inside their own 20 to the red zone and they get right there at the goal line, and instead of deciding to just pound it in, which is how they got there in the first place, they try to get cute with a little play-action dump-off, and the blocking doesn't hold up, baskets knocked down, and then once again, they try to go back to the passing, and the line doesn't hold up, and as a result, Brady gets sacked, and you're settling for three points. Jeff, I'm just going to throw you a softball here and get the hell out of the way. Josh McDaniels was getting way too cute all night. It was a similar problem to what they had against Green Bay, and it's hurting this offense. 
Oh God, is it is it ever hurting this offense? And you know, we go out there, and the national media turns around and says that uh, you know Josh McDaniels uh, he'll be getting a head coaching job. Uh, and you saw Chris Collinsworth say it. You know, he's so diverse, and he does this, and he does that, and he's he just does all this stuff. Josh McDaniels to me is a product of the system. He basically was a no name. Uh, assistant coach brought up through the ranks he started out on the defensive side of the ball he was brought up through the ranks he was the offensive coordinator uh you know in not with no real name uh in 2005 when the patriots offense was putrid well, not putrid but not very good in 2006 they came out and his offense goes to the AFC Championship game, and I'll give them credit. They get all the way to the AFC Championship game with guys like uh, Jabbar Gaffney as your leading receiver and Rache Caldwell, and they even they traded for Doug Gabriel uh, that year. So they didn't have great, uh, great players at the wide receiver position. But then in the in the playoffs in 2006, they're winning 21 to six at halftime, and they get away from running the ball. Same thing happening in in the uh, Super Bowl in Super Bowl forty two. They got away from running the ball in Super Bowl forty six. Even though it was Bill O'Brien as the uh, as the offense coordinator, you remember Josh McDaniels was brought in as a special consultant because his team, the St. Louis Rams at the time, had gone up and played every team that the Patriots had a chance to play on their way to a Super Bowl championship. And they got away from the running game again. This is something he gets a little too cute. And I'll be interested to see exactly what happens this week against the Miami Dolphins. The Patriots lost in Miami uh, back on week one. They had led by 10 points at halftime. And they ran the ball a grand total of six times after that. I really think sometimes that, uh, that Josh McDaniels' one goal is to say, ooh, hey, I can pass the ball. It's the Air Coriel thing. He gets a little too lopsided on the run-pass ratio. People who are pro-Josh McDaniels love to say he's the second smartest person in the room behind Belichick. I actually think it's proven to be more of a detriment than it has benefit to Josh McDaniels, as crazy as that may sound, because time and time again, we see him get away from what's working. He tries to outsmart the defense he tries to get way too creative and more often than not it doesn't work whether it was the hurry up calls at the goal line against the Chicago Bears whether it was Sunday against the Chargers whether it was continuously trying to exploit Green Bay down the field most of the time these attempts are unsuccessful and what makes it all the more frustrating is that the Patriots have something like the running game on that opening drive that's been working and out of nowhere, McDaniels tries to get way too cute, and it doesn't work. Yeah, unfortunately, it just doesn't work. I, I'd like to see uh, Belichick walk up behind him and give him a dope slap and say, hey, dopey, let's run the ball. You know, this. And I, I'd love to see uh, Dave D. He has built an offensive line that is built to push the pile forward. They have a 255-pound running back. In LeGarrette Blount, they have Jonas Gray, who actually got some carries the other night, who can run the ball. Slam the ball in there. The weather's getting colder. 
let's do it. Let's let you know. Let's give Brady a chance here. Uh, and, and I'm going to push the uh, envelope over to Tom Brady here. Uh, the the final numbers were were good. Uh, you know, I mean, when you turn around and you throw for 317 yards and you're 28 of 44 and you got two touchdowns, the final numbers are good. But take away the 69-yard pass uh, to Julian Edelman, and it was a it was a very nice catch by Julian Edelman. Brady put the ball where he had to put it. He put it up high, and Edelman was able to use his punt returner skills, as Chris Collinsworth continued to say on Sunday night. And he was able to scamper 69 yards for a touchdown. But there were some times where Tom Brady didn't look great, and it started with the uh, the interception to Monte Teo. Uh, did not step into the ball, uh, step into the throw on the on the interception there. Uh, Gronkowski had he lofted that ball up a little bit, um, he he's got an easy six there. He's got Danny Amendola cro- on a crossing route with a timeout left that would have given him a first down. And I'm going to put it on Brady, probably 65 to 70% of that play. And I'll put the offensive line, the rest of that, he couldn't step into the throw. But then this third quarter, probably the most putrid quarter of football I've seen by a New England Patriots offense in a long time. Yeah, even the touchdown pass to Julian Edelman was a high throw that Edelman did a good job to get. And despite what the numbers say, it was not the best night for Tom Brady. Nessun's Doug Kide who charts all of Brady's passes every single game. I definitely recommend checking that out. He had Brady responsible for six of his incompletions, which is high for Brady. And it really wasn't the best night for him. There was also a, it was a huge product of the offensive line's performance because time and time again, including on the interception to Manti Teo, where you're right, he had Gronk. But this factor on the play does not get talked about nearly enough that the offensive line had done a poor job up until then and including on that play of providing him with a clean pocket to step up and throw into. As a result, he throws that thing without fully stepping into it and it's flat and an easy interception for, of all people, Mr. Catfish himself, Manti Teo. <laughs> oh, yeah, Mr. Catfish. But the, you know what? And... and... Credit the uh, San Diego Chargers defense and, and Melvin Ingram, um, especially having uh, one of the games of his life on, on Sunday night. They came ready to play and ready to attack the New England Patriots. Uh, our old friend Dwight Freeney uh, gave Nate Soldier just as much trouble as he used to give Matt Light. And that's one of the things I want to talk about here because Nate Soldier, I think, really gets kind of a bad rap here in, in New England. Listen, he's not one of the greatest tackles in the league. I'll give you that. But he is a very good, above average to very good left tackle. Um, and I don't know whether it's that he was a first-round draft pick that you know the Patriots acquired by trading Richard Seymour before the 2009 season, or if it's you know uh, 10 years of, of Matt Light who, let's face it, had his issues with Dwight Freeney, had his issues with Aaron Schobel, these speed rushers, Cameron Wake, uh, in his career. And I look at Matt Light, and people always talk about how great Light was. Light was a, a good tackle, but he struggled. And Nate Soldier at times has been dominating, and at other times has really struggled. So let's talk a little bit about Nate Soldier here. 
um, before we get into some other news with the New England Patriots. Yeah, I think it's a cumulative effect of everything that you just mentioned on top of who he's protecting. And that's why, especially that position, regardless, is under a microscope all game. You could have a great game and only make two or three bad plays, but people are going to notice those and talk about those much more than what you did well. For Solder, the beginning of the game, that whole first half, he was terrible. He was way too high. On one play, Melvin Ingram, I thought, decapitated him. He got (laughs) right underneath his neck and just destroyed him and Solder crumpled to the ground and in the second half he improved I wouldn't say it was a good second half for Solder but it was noticeably better and his technique was a little better and that's what's frustrating to me Jeff to be honest is that Solder who's had a very good season overall it was a rough start to the year for him just like it was the rest of the offensive line but overall it's been a good season for him but his problems are always the same thing. And you would think by someone who's now a veteran, you know, he's no longer a first or second year player that these things would be fixed or at least more improved, more shorn up than they seem to be at this point in his career. Exactly. He's a fourth year player uh, coming out of Colorado uh, drafted, of course, 17th overall uh, with a pick acquired from the Oakland Raiders for uh, Richard Seymour, as we said earlier in the podcast, Um, his his uh, his option has been picked up, so he'll be back again next year. Uh, some news breaking uh, before we started going on to uh, record our podcast that the New England Patriots have re-signed uh, guard, I'm sorry, guard uh, tackle. They tried Marcus that. It Cant- didn't work. <laughs> they did. They did try that. Didn't work very well. Although I've always thought he'd be a very good right guard for some reasons, but I like what they've done with the offensive line. But they've re-signed uh, Marcus Cannon, and I love this move. It's a two-year deal uh, worth nine million dollars total, according to uh, ESPN Boston. Um, I love this move. I think it's great. It's a uh, you got Marcus Cannon who came in here last uh, last year after. Um, Sebastian Fulmer uh, broke his leg and played extremely well at right tackle. Um, he has the versatility to play both sides of the line. I love this move, especially as insurance um, to whether or not you can get something done uh, with Nate Soldier. Of course, Soldier will be going into his final year next year. Um, so I love this move. It, it, it gives you uh, layers. It gives you layers here. And, of course, Sebastian Vollmer, uh, you know, was re-signed to a four-year deal. So now you have layers here. You have, you know, Soldier signed through the end of 2015. Then you have, um, you know, Cannon signed through the end of 2016. And then Vollmer through the end of 2017. So you have layers here at your tackle. And you have three starting caliber tackles there. Uh, we'll get in a little more of the New England Patriots and their future uh, with who they have to resign. But the signing of uh, of Marcus Cannon tonight, let me let me hear your thoughts. Yeah, I love it. Under the condition that he remains a swing tackle, that he is, like you said, that layer, that he can play both spots and is the backup to Solder and Volmer. Solder's contract jumps from having a $2.7 million cap at this season to $7.4 million next season. All of that is through his base salary, meaning that there'd be no dead money if they cut or trade him for draft picks. So I'm really hoping that's not the intention here is to try and get Nate Solder to take more of a team-friendly deal, lower his cap hit, 
And then if he's not willing to negotiate or meet the Patriots at their price, that he has shown the door. So I love the move, provided that he remains that third tackle. More on the Patriots and their future and who they uh, have to resign uh, later on in the podcast and as the uh, the season progresses into the playoffs and the off season, we will have, of course, everything you need here on the signings of and re-signings for Patriots players. Of course, uh, the Boston Red Sox made a ton of moves on Thursday, uh, signing uh, Justin Masterson, trading for a couple pitchers. Uh, so tune into Red Sox Beat on the CLNS Radio Network, and they will keep you covered on all the hot stove uh, action that happens in uh, in Boston's uh, Red Sox. So keep along for uh, Red Sox Beat. Remember to go see those guys. Uh, you can find them on the CLNS Radio app, which, of course, you can download for free uh, for your Android and iPhone uh, by going to www.clnsradio.com slash iOS free for your uh, iPhone and www.clnsradio.com slash Android for your uh, Android device. You can also find us in the Google Play and Apple uh, iTunes Store. Uh, download the CLNS Radio app and don't forget to rate, review, and subscribe. You can follow, also find us on iTunes and Stitcher by searching CLNS Radio. You can find this podcast, of course, by searching www.clnsradio.com slash Beat iTunes and www.clns.com, uh, clnsradio.com slash Beat Stitcher. So moving on to uh, this week's opponent, the Miami Dolphins, and some retribution here for the New England Patriots. Of course, we talked about this first time in uh, 12 years that the New England Patriots had lost an opening game 0-1 out of the stretch. Uh, they just seemed to tire against the Miami Dolphins. And as Teddy Bruschi would say, it's a hat and t-shirt game. The Patriots stand at 10-3 and through 13 games, and the Miami Dolphins at 7-6. and A victory over the Dolphins propels the New England Patriots to their ninth, I believe, title in the last 10 years. That is unbelievable. Yeah, and I know it's one step at a time, but keep in mind that for the Patriots to achieve their ultimate goal of winning a Super Bowl, they're most likely going to have to win out and run the table these next three games all against division opponents that starts with exacting revenge against Miami of course you want to win the division but it's in the Patriots best interest to win out and make sure that the road to the Super Bowl goes through Foxborough so this is a game where the Patriots need to take care of business for more reasons Jeff than just the hat and t-shirt Oh, couldn't agree with you more. I think um, while the Patriots did show that they can win on the road, uh, you know, they had some tough games on the road this year. Uh, you know, they won in Detroit. I'm sorry, not in Detroit, but they won in Indianapolis, of course, last week in San Diego. I think every Patriots uh, player out there and every Patriots fan out there would like to see every uh, game in the playoffs played at home at Gillette Stadium where they have such a great record um, and, and do some great things there. One thing that you need to realize is last year, the Patriots had their destiny in their hands, sat at 10-3, and three, uh, tied with the Broncos, go to, went up against the Miami Dolphins and lost, 
And that right there was the difference between the New England Patriots hosting the Denver Broncos at home in the playoffs and having to go to Mile High Stadium, or, or not even Mile High Stadium, but uh, a Sports Authority Field at Mile High and, and play the Denver Broncos. So it'll be interesting. The Patriots have it in their graph. It's here. You're going up against the Miami Dolphins this week. Seven and six. They've been an okay team. Of course, they've beat the Patriots already. Then you go and you play the New York Jets in the Meadowlands. The Jets always give the Patriots fits in the Meadowlands. And then home against the Buffalo Bills, I, I, I'd have to say that that's one of those games that uh, you can check as a, uh, a as a victory as much as Buffalo has improved. And they also sit at 7-6. and six. Uh, The Bills just don't win in Foxborough. Yeah, uh, the first memory that comes to mind is the 31 nothing beat down against the Bills to exact for revenge for what ironically <laughs> was the same score on opening day against them that season in Buffalo. Now they have a chance to do the same thing to a Miami team that embarrassed them on opening day this season. So whereas some people might be saying, you just got through this tough stretch against quality opponents, back-to-back road games, maybe coming home, it's a trap game, or you take your eye off the ball because it's a hat and t-shirt game, you start focusing on the wrong things or letting your mind wander. No, you know this team is focused. It's the perfect opponent to come back with after the gauntlet that the Patriots just went through because you know they're going to be ready to exact revenge. They're going to have to come back and uh, exact revenge there. And uh, it'll be interesting to see how the Patriots play Miami. Uh, Ryan Tannehill has played decent, uh, actually at sometimes really good. Uh, on the season, 3,044 yards, 21 touchdowns versus only nine interceptions. Uh, Lamar Miller uh, is a very good running back for them. Uh, he's averaging 4.8 yards per carry on 162 touches with six touchdowns. They don't have to worry about no Sean Moreno. We remember how Moreno absolutely killed the Patriots. Moreno is, of course, out for this game. And then uh, Mike Wallace, the former Steeler, uh, leads them with 57 uh, receptions for 700 yards. Another guy you want to look at is uh, is Jarvis Landry, the uh, the rookie uh, wide receiver who's really come on of late and has 63 receptions over the uh, course of the season. So I'm looking at the Miami Dolphins, and they are improved. They have a defense that can get after the passer. And I look at this offense, and... It reminds me a little bit of that Green Bay offense, and I guess it should because of the fact that Joe Philbin runs that same type of offense. He's got a mobile quarterback in Ryan Tannehill, who's, who's ran the ball 47 times for 295 yards, so that's another uh, layer that the Patriots are going to have to defend. Let's talk a little bit about how the Patriots can defend the Miami Dolphins. Jeff, and I'm, gra- I'm glad that you bring up Jarvis Landry because he has become the focal point of this offense and they get him involved a lot of different ways he'll line up in the slot sometimes they'll put him outside they even do what Green Bay had success with using Randall Cobb in the backfield to get mismatches they'll do that with Jarvis Landry and so it's going to be interesting to see how New England defends against that type of play this time around after it didn't work against Green Bay where Rob Ninkovich got caught having to defend Randall Cobb so there's a lot of there's going to be a lot of cat and mouse games within this contest that are going to be interesting to see how they plan out, how they pan out rather. Some of the matchups are more straightforward though. I think once again, 
You're going to see Revis primarily take Mike Wallace. I think Landry might go toe-to-toe with Kyle Arrington or Brandon Browner. It's going to be interesting because, like I just said, he's not someone who's just a vertical threat. He'll come across the middle. He can be shifty. So even though he's not the fastest of guys, which makes it easier for Browner to cover him, there's going to be times where you know, Landry is not just taken off down the field, and it might be harder for Browner to stay with him. And then I think Kyle Arrington will take Brian Hartline. Another big-time weapon that the Dolphins have is Charles Clay, the versatile fullback, who's got tight end rather, who's got 51 catches on the season. I expect Jamie Collins, Jonathan Casillas, those two to primarily be matched up against him. You'll also see some Patrick Chung, and when that happens, you might want to cover your eyes. <laughs> Chung's not too bad, though, man. Come on. We've got to give Patrick Chung in his second tour duty uh, with the New England Patriots. He has played a lot better uh, than I think any of us uh, thought, he was, thought he would. I think when they resigned him after he was cut by the Eagles, I, I think a lot of us, myself included, uh, were thinking, you know, camp body, maybe a third safety. Uh, you know, we all talked about Jerron Harmon, uh, the second-year player out of Rutgers, taking that next step. But Patrick Chung uh, leads all safeties, not named Devin McCourty, in playing time this year, and he's played well. Yeah, I think everyone had the same reaction that you did when Chung was brought back. And then when Chung won the starting safety job in training camp, all everyone could say is, who's our starting safety? And so that was funny to see the lack of respect that he continued to get. And sure enough, he's in a much more comfortable fit, a more natural role for him. I also think that year in Philadelphia, he got better than before his first stint in New England. And now, like you said, He gets to play primarily in the box where he's very good against the run because he's a physical safety who likes contact, likes to hit. And he's done much better in coverage than I think most people expected. But that's also been a product of mostly going up against running backs or number two tight ends, players who aren't as big of a threat in the passing game. And that's what I'd like to see him and expect to see him do once again on Sunday against Miami. And another thing for Patrick Chung this year has been health. Uh, that was one of the big things that uh, hindered him in his first tour duty with the New England Patriots. Uh, you know, he was fragile as a crystal chandelier. Uh, he was always on, on you know, the sidelines for games. And I used to joke on uh, on my original podcast, Patriots Goal to Go, with my co-host uh, Mikey P, that, uh, you know, Patrick Chung was a, a P-U-S-S-Y. Uh, he just never seemed to want to, you know, line up and play. I'll give him this right now. Kudos to Patrick Chung um, for what he's done this year. Uh, he's far exceeded my expectations and far exceeded what uh, what they got last year out of uh, Deb McCourty's running mate um, in Stephen Gregory. I, I, I like what they've done here uh, with Patrick Chung. Um, moving on to how exactly I think the Patriots can defend uh, this team, you know, you you said it. You you wouldn't mind seeing, uh, you know, Kyle Arrington covering uh, Landry. Um, I expect I expect that lockdown corner that we just saw uh, from Darrell Revis, um, you know, against Keenan Allen. I expect the exact same thing against Mike Wallace. Um, it should be interesting to see what they do as far as Hartline goes um, and Landry. I, I actually would like to see. Uh, a little bit of uh, Brandon Browner on um, Heartline, even though he's 
uh, you know, moves all over the field, I think uh, you could really have Browner neutralizing him there. Uh, and, and then it'll be interesting to see what goes on from there. Your thoughts, do you think we see Chandler Jones this week? He, again, uh, limited in practice on Wednesday and Thursday. I do. I actually thought that he was going to play last week against San Diego. And then I just read today from Mike Reese on ESPNBoston.com that Chandler Jones in the media portion of practice had a couple of explosive plays and showed good movement. So I think this week Chandler Jones returns. And you'll notice that Dominique Easley has not been practicing this week. I think that's who becomes the inactive and Jones comes back into the fold. That is uh, very good things there. And you know what? It might be uh, maintenance here for Dominic Easley. He's starting to play a little better uh, on those knees. And, and, you know, if you get Chandler Jones back, he got three games left before the playoffs. You start getting him moving in there, uh, and you rest Easley, who, of course, is coming off uh, the ACL injury last year, and you move towards the playoffs and have your full complement of players there. Uh, Donta Hightower missing last week uh, with the shoulder injury. Uh, do we see him this week? And that's a tough call. Maybe the Patriots decide if he looks like he's ready to go, that they're just going to play him. Personally, I wouldn't mind with the way Jamie Collins played Sunday. I wouldn't mind giving Hightower another week off, then bring him back against the Jets. He gets extra rest. Collins, who thrived in that role, as the leader of the defense on Sunday, gets to continue in that role, which is likely good for his development. So I wouldn't mind giving Hightower another week off and keeping things as they were on Sunday. Switch over to the uh, – we're going to switch over here now to the Patriots versus Dolphins as far as the offense is concerned. Uh, as we said, going back to week one, the New England Patriots uh, led the Miami Dolphins 20-10 uh, to 10 at halftime and were outscored uh, 23 to nothing in the second half. The Patriots absolutely ran out of gas against the Dolphins. Um, Tom Brady had a uh, very pedestrian game against the Dolphins to start things out. Um, he, of course, was 29 of 56, uh, 249 yards, uh, one touchdown, a 69 rating. The Patriots could get nothing going on the ground. Uh, your leading rusher in that game was Shane Vereen, seven uh, carries for 36 yards um, and a touchdown. But you had Julian Edelman rushing twice. Uh, Steven Ridley could do nothing, uh, averaged 2.6 yards per carry, and it just was all downhill from there. Of course, the Patriots' offense is completely different, I think, and it is, than it was to begin that uh the beginning of that year starts up front with the offensive line who had a very tough time against the Miami Dolphins. Uh, the Dolphins absolutely owned uh, the Patriots offensive line had four sacks on the game against the, uh, the Patriots. Uh, Cameron Wake was a beast coming off the edge, um, but it's changed and it starts up front with the offensive line. That was the first game under Dave D. Um, that was a game where you had Jordan Devy as your starter, um, you weren't exactly sure what you were going to see. Uh, the Patriots have solidified their offensive line, uh, as we talked about with Soldier and Volmer on the outside, with uh, Marcus Cannon as your swing tackle. Uh, Brian Stork, the rookie out of Florida State, his insertion into the uh, line as the starting center 
Um, as I predicted this offseason, I will, will pat myself on the back saying that, uh, has really allowed this line to develop. And you've had Conley and Wendell flanking him doing a very nice job. So starting up front, I think that's the big thing that you can expect for the New England Patriots is they can, uh, they'll be able to develop more of a, more of a, a balanced attack than they were week one against the Dolphins. Yeah, thank God they got the tuba player out of there. And this team against Miami <laughs> in the opener, they got manhandled physically. They got beat mentally where they could not handle the heat. And they were outcoached. They got beat in any category, any measurement of that game. The Patriots came up short. And a humiliating loss like that, we talked about what happened when they played Buffalo the second time around and whooped them 31 to nothing. Now the Dolphins come into Foxborough in December. I expect the Patriots to return the favor. I would expect uh, that to happen as well. It's interesting when you have teams like Miami and uh, and the Patriots, you know, bitter rivals going back to uh, when Miami was brought into the AFC East when they were an expansion franchise in uh, 1966. Uh, and the Dolphins got out to a very quick start um, in their uh, in their career, and of course won the Super Bowl in 1972. And this has been one of those rivalries that, you know, it isn't quite Jets Patriots, but it's a very good rivalry in the fact that you have two completely different styles here, uh, not really styles, but weather. And, and and you know, it's the beginning of the season. You send the Patriots down to to Miami. They have that weather that uh, that they can uh, they can go with the heat, and I think that really affected the Patriots to start things off to begin the season. Now it's time to repay the favor, bringing them up here to uh, to New England, uh, which you know Sunday right now uh, down in Foxborough um, is actually going to be not too bad, sunny and 41, so uh, it won't look like it has the the entire uh, uh, week here in in uh, the Boston area. But be interesting to see when it gets cold what the Patriots will end up doing against the uh, Miami Dolphins. Well, first off, it's good to know that the weather is going to get nice right as the weekend ends. And then uh, looking at strategy, what I would love to see is the Patriots attack Miami's run defense, which has really struggled. They're 22nd in the league in run defense. They allow 123.5 yards per game, and this is how they've been beat the last couple of games. So I would like to see a heavy dose of not just Laguerre Blount, but I'd like to see Mr. Sports Illustrated Jonas Gray get more touches than two, which he got against San Diego. I thought both of those carries that he was effective, and this might be a game where because he's quicker, more athletic than Blount, that he could really have some success. Well, we saw, you know, Mr. Pass it all over himself in Peyton Manning rely on his running back C.J. Anderson against the uh, Miami Dolphins and absolutely dominate that that, that front and be able to neutralize uh, Cameron Wake. So wake up, Josh McDaniels. If Peyton Manning, the godfather of throwing the ball on first and goal, second and goal, third and goal, can rely on a running back, so can you. 
Uh, I would like to see the Patriots absolutely, uh, you know, go into a real balanced attack and attack this Dolphins team and not allow Cameron Wake and his cohorts to, uh, you know, pin their ears back and get after Tom Brady. You have those players, and even Shane Vereen in this situation is a player that can can run the ball well. Uh, I'd like to see some some halfback screens. We finally saw a halfback screen last week, Bobby, and it went for some big yards. Bring back the halfback screen. It was a it was a staple in the uh, offense of Charlie Weiss uh, with Kevin Fox. So bring that back. Shane Vereen is phenomenal with the ball in his hands. I love to see that against the Miami Dolphins. It'll they need to uh, neutralize the pass pass rush, as I've probably said fourteen <laughs> times now. But uh, yeah, I'd like to see them do that. Your thoughts there? Yeah, I completely agree. And maybe Belichick showed McDaniel some old films films of Charlie Weiss and how the offense used to run because it's interested interesting to see the halfback screen dusted out and brought back for Sunday's game. And I'm completely with you on neutralizing the Miami pass rush. Another thing that it does and that you're seeing the Broncos turn to in primarily becoming a run team these past couple games, as crazy as that is to say, is that it helps your skilled players rest. Help get these guys some in-game rest and get them a little bit healthier going into the playoffs. Tom Brady doesn't need to throw the ball 50-plus times these next three games to win. So by all means, pound the rock, establish the run game, get some momentum going in that department going into the playoffs, and just let everyone else get healthy. You know, Brandon LaFell's got a bit of a shoulder injury. Julian Edelman with the thigh. There's no need to throw the ball 50-plus times in any of these next three games. So I would like to see them, not just against Miami, but the rest of the regular season, be primarily a running team. Well, that's one of the things that, uh, you know, you can look back at any team that has won the Super Bowl uh, going all the way back to 2001 and actually even 2000 with the uh, with the Baltimore Ravens. Defense and running and balanced offense are what make teams win in this league. Even when Peyton Manning won in 2006, uh, you know, his his offense was extremely balanced in the in the playoffs in the four games they played they ran the ball only six times less than they passed the ball and we're seeing the the uh the Denver Broncos morph into more of a balanced team right now and that's helping them become a better team I want to see the Patriots do it it's time to see them do it over the next three games that being said week one against the Miami Dolphins you had Rob Gronkowski coming back for his first game uh, he caught four balls for 40 yards and a touchdown with a long of 18. They're going to get full on Gronk now. He's back and he's badass. So let's talk about a little bit of what Rob Gronkowski being healthy now has meant to this offense and what it could mean Sunday against the Dolphins. Gronk is the key to this offense. He's, in my opinion, if you were to vote for an MVP of the Patriots offense between him and Brady, I would give it to Gronk. It's no, it's no secret that the success of this offense the last two years has come when Gronk was healthy and Gronk hit his stride. And what, allowed, what is so key is that he can beat a defense in so many different ways. 
For example, when he's out there, you don't know if it's going to be a pass or a run because he's such a good run blocker. When he's coming across the middle, he takes so much of the defense's attention that it makes it easier for other players to get open and to be effective. And, of course, the Patriots don't have a true outside-the-numbers threat. Gronk is really their deep threat, too. So he does so many different things for this offense that it's critical that they have him ready to go come playoff time. Oh, exactly. And you said that uh, Gronk being the deep threat, Gronk actually uh, leads the New England Patriots with 13.7 yards per reception, uh, leads them with uh, touchdowns with 10, uh, followed a close second there by Brandon LaFell, who has been a very pleasant surprise, uh, did not um, get onto the stat sheet against the Miami Dolphins. In fact, I believe he was a healthy scratch for that game, if I'm not mistaken. Uh, but he did not uh, uh, really get on the stat sheet there. LaFell has developed such a such a huge rapport now with, uh, with Tom Brady to go along with Julian Edelman and Rob Gronkowski. We're seeing a lot of, uh, you know, more two tight end sets now with Tim Wright. But LaFell, to me... Um, Reminds me a lot of of former Patriot David Givens, uh, what he was able to do, the bigger body wide receiver. You know, he doesn't wow you, but he catches the ball when it's thrown to him. And save for that uh, fumble uh, last week, he has been very, very good with the ball and very good with catching the ball. I think Givens is an excellent comparison. And the one the one difference between the two and that really is a spot-on comparison, in my opinion, is that LaFell is a better run blocker. He's also more athletic. And, Jeff, believe it or not, Brandon LaFell got on the stat sheet for one play against Miami, and that was going offsides on a kickoff. That, that was his <laughs> lone right, contribution. Yes, okay. That was his lone contribution. Well, he's come a long way since going offsides on a kickoff. And then, you know, what we haven't seen really is any penalties lately uh, for illegal uh, picks and illegal screens by LaFell lately. So that's a good thing. Uh, Brandon LaFell has far exceeded what I thought we'd see out of him this year. Uh, 57 receptions, 753 yards, and the aforementioned seven touchdowns. Uh, and then, of course, there is Julian Edelman, uh, who leads the New England Patriots with 85 catches. I'm going to tell you right now, Bobby, I want to see his his catches go down um, over the next three weeks. I want to. I don't want to see him get 15 catches over the next three weeks, 14 or less, because there has not been a Super Bowl champion uh, since 2001 who has had a, th- a hundred catch receiver. So, you hear me, Belichick? You hear me, McDaniel's? I don't want to see 15 catches over the next three years. No, uh, three games. No, there's just no need to. I want to see Gronk's role be reduced. I want to see LaFell's role be reduced. Edelman's role. This is a chance to just pound the rock, feed LeGarrette Blount and Jonas Gray, and give it a couple times to Shane Vereen off tackle. You know, get everyone healthy as possible going into the playoffs. The last thing they need is for one of those guys, or God forbid, Tom Brady, to go down to injury these last three games because they were trying to throw the ball 50-plus times. Couldn't agree with you more. Well, we had uh, teased a little bit about how we were going to talk a little bit about the Patriots moving into, uh, uh, you know, with the signing of Marcus Cannon, what can uh, happen coming forward. So we'll get to that. Before we get to that, let's talk about – 
our keys to the game, uh, offense and defensive player of the game. I believe I made you go first last week, Bobby, so I will go first this week. Um, I think the New England Patriots win this game and actually win this game going away. Um, I'm going 34-14 to 14 for the Patriots. Uh, I think they have improved so much on uh, defense uh, from the beginning of the season. Their run defense is so much better. Uh, Silva Salinga playing his first game back uh, played very well to go along with Allen Branch. I would like to see, you know, uh, of course, uh, Chandler Jones coming back and getting after the passer. Rob Nikovich has been a horse. Jamie Collins playing so much better. And, of course, that defensive backfield uh, playing extremely well. So I'm going, again, 34-14 to 14 for the Patriots. Offensive player of the game, uh, you know, I think I said it last week. I'm going to say it again this week. I think LeGarrette Blount goes off uh, here. I still think Jonas Gray's in that doghouse. Unfortunately, um, you know, it had to be more than just that alarm not going off. The defensive player of the game, you know, last week we talked about Jamie Collins having a having an unbelievable game. Uh, this this week I'm going to have to say, and it's a kind of a cop out here, but I'm going with uh, Darrell Revis shutting down. Uh, Mike Wallace. So again, my pick, thirty-four to fourteen, offense Blount, defense Revis. Yeah, I think the Patriots are going to roll in this one as well, especially if they come out firing on all cylinders and get off to a hot start. Uh, my final score, similar to you, I'm going to go thirty-one to seventeen. I think the Patriots might slow down the offense at the end once the game's out of reach and it's late enough in the fourth quarter. My player of the game on offense is going to be, I'm going to give it to him, Jonas Gray, out of the doghouse. That's right. Talk about a bold prediction. I'm going with Mr. Sports Illustrated, Jonas Gray, because I think this is a game where LeGarrette Blount, a big back, can certainly be effective. But Miami has quick defensive linemen that can penetrate the gaps. So you need a running back who's a big body but a bit more athletic, a bit quicker. That's Jonas Gray. I think he finally, finally – gets out of the doghouse, and comes through for the Patriots this week. On defense, like you said, I hate to go with a cop-out, but I'm going to stick with the same guy who I rode last week. That's Jamie Collins, leader of the defense, again, presuming that Hightower sits. And he's going to have a huge role. Even if Hightower plays, then he's going to have more responsibilities taking Charles Clay out of the picture. So I think Jamie Collins is in for another big game. And I'm also thinking the 34 points, Bobby, and I'm, I'm assuming you'll probably agree with me here uh, because of how poor the Patriots' offense played for parts of that game against the San Diego Chargers. I expect them to come out and be extremely focused in this game. Yeah, I expect them to get off to a fast start. Quite frankly, I would be disappointed if on their first drive of the game they don't produce a touchdown. Obviously, that could prove to me nothing over the course of the game, but I would be disappointed because between how the offense has looked these last two games on the road and what happened in Miami in the season opener, I would be disappointed if the offense doesn't show up and punch the ball down Miami's throat right off the bat. Oh, exactly. Now, just a, just a quick rundown now, of course, of the New England Patriots free agents. As we talked about uh, you know, during this show, Marcus Cannon was re-signed to a two-year $9 million deal, which gives the Patriots layers for their tackles over the next three seasons. Um, some big names on free agent. Uh, you know, you start with your kicker. Uh, and, and, I mean, you, you laugh when you sit there and start with your kicker. But uh, Steven Gostowski uh, is an unrestricted free agent coming up here. 
uh, a very, very good uh, player, one of the best kickers in the league. Love to see the New England Patriots uh, sign him. Of course, they have the trio of running backs. Um, who would have thought that I'd go running back, right? Uh, the trio of running backs in Shane Vereen, Brandon Bolden, and uh, Stephen Ridley, who are all up as unrestricted free agents. Um, and then some of the guys that they've brought in here um, over the course of the year, Jonathan Casillas is an unrestricted free agent. Akeem Ayers, an unrestricted free agent. Alan Branch, an unrestricted free agent at the end of the year. Um, I'd like to see each and every one of those guys back. Of course, you're not always going to see it. And then you get the the bigger uh, names, as you will, in Dan Connolly, the uh, the guard who is also the uh, captain of the offensive line and ca- one of the captains, and uh, our very own Patrick Shankauer's uh, binky baby, uh, <laughs> Dev. Dev McCourty, uh, who is also an unrestricted free agent. And I guess you could lump really, not that you have to, but you could you could lump Darrell Revis into this, even though he is signed uh, to a two-year deal. Uh, it's a cap hit of $25 million. Uh, let's talk a little bit about who you think the Patriots need to sign and need to address. Well, Jeff, keep this in mind. It's an interesting list of free agents. There's some key special teamers, there's role players, and then you have the guys you mentioned at the top, like Revis and McCordy. There's one name not on that list, Tom Brady. What happens if now that his contract stands to take a significant pay cut, if he comes to the Patriots and says, no, 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 I deserve more than this, and I'd like to be paid? What out of Tom Brady, though, in his entire career would make you think that he would say that? Well, it hasn't, he's never gone against the team publicly, although I will say before the Monday night debacle in Kansas City, Trent Dilfer and Steve Young were on the field talking with Brady. They went over to the show and absolutely ripped the Patriots' spending methods and ripped the craft. It seemed like Brady had given them some ammunition to work with there, so I think he may have done that discreetly. Now, certainly it's not in his M.O. to publicly take on Belichick or the Patriots or the Crafts, but still, I would not rule out the possibility that Brady looks at, he stands to get, if I'm correct going off the top of my head, I think it's $7 million in base salary, something like that. It would not shock me if he comes to the Patriots in the offseason and says that's not going to fly. And we'll find out if it does. I would have to say that, it doesn't because I think Brady keeps that, uh, you know, Brady likes to win. Uh, and there was an amazing article about Greg, that Greg Bedard wrote on SI uh, about how Brady prepares and his uh, TB12 rehabilitation clinic or whatever the hell it is down there at Foxborough. Uh, and he wants to play to at least 45 or whatever. So I don't see Tom... I just don't see it, and I and I and I can respect your your thoughts there, but here's kind of where I'm sitting right now. I think your 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 biggest play here is to decide what you're going to do with Darrell Revis. I don't think he's going anywhere, um, and I think one of the reasons you really haven't seen anything on the Darrell Revis front, while you've seen uh, you know minor deals or not really minor deals, but good deals to uh, Matthew Slater and and of course to Marcus Cannon, is because those are easier deals to move with. As far as Darrell Rivas goes, listen, he's under contract. Yes, it's a $25 million cap hit for 2015. 
the NFL is expecting the um, salary cap to be north of $138 million this year. I've seen some projections that it could be up to $150 million. You're also getting back the uh, Aaron Hernandez money um, this year. So the Patriots are going to have some things to move around with. Now, uh, there have been reports out there that they have about $9 million um, in cap uh, space that can be rolled over. Um, but I believe, I think it was you, Bobby, who actually pointed out to me that Jonathan Kraft yeah. has said that about 6 or $7 million of that will be uh, incentive bonuses uh, that they'll be able to roll over. So I think first and foremost, it's got to be Revis and what they're going to do with him. Uh, I don't expect him to go anywhere. I think that uh, this first year in New England has been a flying success uh, for the New England Patriots. So I think Revis is their number one priority, but don't expect him to uh, to go anywhere. I expect them to take that $25 million cap hit and uh, and roll that into uh, some sort of bonus. Yeah, even you look at the Patriots' philosophy, when they cut players like a lawyer Malloy, for example, or they ask him to take a pay cut and they don't and they're traded like Richard Seymour, it's because the production has declined. That is clearly not the case with Darrell Revis, who, in my opinion, has reclaimed the top spot in the cornerback debate this season. So that usually is not how the Patriots operate. Usually the guys who they're looking to save money on are guys who are starting to decline that's certainly not been the case with Darrell Revis this season. He's the focal point of the defense. And quite frankly, if they don't bring him back, whether it's accepting the $25 million cap hit, which I'm not expecting, I think they'll negotiate a long-term deal. But if they don't bring him back, the Crafts and Belichick will get lambasted, and deservedly so. I think you're 100% right. And I think Belichick realizes what exactly Revis has meant to his defense. Um, it This defense really reminds me of that 2003 New England Patriots defense where you had guys who could just shut down. You had Ty Law shutting, thing down, shutting down opposing wide receivers. And with all due respect to Asante Samuel, who was a, a very good to above average um cornerback for the New England Patriots for many years before he went for the big bucks for the Philadelphia Eagles. This is the first shutdown corner the Patriots have had since the Ty Law era. Oh, there's no debating that. Asante Samuel, his strong suit was gambling for interceptions, which he did pretty well. It was certainly not taking away a team's number one option week in and week out. Darrell Revis, it's debatable. You know, I certainly agree that he is the best coverage corner the Patriots have had since Ty Law it's even debatable whether or not he's better than Ty Law so that just tells you how good Darrell Revis is and what he's done for this defense week in and week out lets you know all you need to about how much he means to this team we'll stay stay on defense and of course we'll go to that binky of uh, Patrick Shankauer in Dev McCourty Dev McCourty's probably going to want to get paid uh, and Bill Belichick loves him. Uh, you know, he is a four-down player. He plays well. Um, he's played 74 career games. He started 74 of them. Um, he has 17 interceptions uh, on his career. Um, unfortunately, the guy's never got into the end zone, even though he tried. Uh, even though he tried twice. really hard. 
He's had two called back now on penalties, if I remember, this year. I just don't see Devin McCourty as a five-year, $50 million safety. To me, he is a very good safety, but he's not someone that you game plan for. So uh, to me, it's he takes a hometown discount, or you know, it's it's Darrell Harmon time as as your uh, as your other safety. That would scare the crap out of me if Deron Harmon's <laughs> their starting free safety next year. Devin McCourty, you can say what you want about him, and I'm certainly not as big a fan of him as Patrick is. I don't know if anyone is. But I think Patrick would have his baby. Pa- Patrick would pay him the $25 million cap hit that Revis is owed. <laughs> so with, with McCourty, though, what he's been asked to do for this defense is play center field, take away the deep ball, and he's been excellent at that. And we know how much Belichick values not allowing opposing offenses to take the top off. And McCourty's primarily responsible for that with his role as that rangy free safety who plays center field. He's also helped in the fact that it's always good to give Brandon Browner some help over the top. It's great to do that with Kyle Arrington, who's so good at taking away underneath routes that when you take a, when he's matched up against someone like a T.Y. Hilton of the Colts, that McCourty was there taking away the over-the-top options. So he really is a vital cog in this defense, and I expect him to be brought back. Exactly. Well, you know, as I said, I, I, I like to joke and I like to kid with Patrick. I do think McCourty is a good safety. I just don't think he's worth $10 million a year. And I think a lot of his, his seven interceptions he had his rookie year, some of them were excuse-me interceptions. And, and I, I don't mean anything bad against him. But for all you know, all intent and purposes, I'd like to see McCourty back. Uh, I just don't see him being that $10 million a year guy. Um, you know, I think... Your big thing is deciding what also is going to happen with this kicker because uh, Stephen Gostowski, you know, we've had we've had a run of really good luck here in New England as far as quarterbacks and kickers goes. We've had an unbelievable quarterback since 2001, and we've had great kickers since uh, Adam Vinatieri's rookie year in 1996. It's going almost 20 years of solid kickers. Um, how big of a, a a need is it to re-sign Stephen Gostowski? Well, I don't want to say the Patriots made a mistake, given that Gostowski has worked out, but they certainly, you know, there's some regret that they didn't bring back Adam Vinatieri. They they called that one incorrectly, thinking that his career was coming towards the end, and he's still going strong to this day. So. I think they might learn their lesson from that. Yes, they drafted an excellent predecessor in Goskowski, or excuse me, they drafted an excellent replacement in Goskowski. I don't expect them to let him hit the market and once again try and have success bringing in now a third kicker. I think Goskowski should be a fairly pain-free negotiation. Yeah, you know, and there's one thing that I've always thought about uh, Stephen Goskowski, of course, in the uh, 2007 season where the Patriots went into uh, uh, the Super Bowl undefeated at 18-0 and and then, of course, lost to the Giants. There's one play that sticks out to me in mind. Kostowski was a young, unproven kicker, and they the Patriots went for it on 4th and 12, I believe it was, when they could have kicked a 47-yard field goal. I wonder, and I've wondered my entire 
uh, time as a Patriots fan since that game, if they have Adam Vinatieri, if they line up and kick that field goal. Yes, uh, no doubt. You know, and, and I think that they do. I think that it was an unproven kicker. Uh, Gostowski was pretty good at the time. Um, you know, it, it's funny because Gostowski to me was a little shaky at times uh, as a kicker until he came back from the uh, the, the quad injury um, that he had in uh, 2011 that, uh, that, that sidelined him for the season. Um, ever since then, I think he's been a better kicker. So I would love to see them bring him back. Uh, real quick, we won't go through the whole list here, but let's talk about the uh, two of the linebackers that they've brought in and, or defensive end uh, outside pass rusher in Akeem Ayers and, uh, uh, of course, uh, Jonathan Casillas. I would love to see this team bring back Akeem Ayers. I'd love to see what this team looked like with uh, Ayers and Jones and Mayo and, and and Jamie Collins and Hightower, I would love to see all the different things that they could do with having him back. And that's where it comes down to managing the cap responsibly. Like you said earlier, expect it to increase to about 138, 142. Maybe it even goes a little bit higher. But you can't overspend on a player like you mentioned, Devin McCourty, because these are players that should not be that expensive, should be fairly easy to retain, that have been key this season. Jonathan Casillas stepped in defensively and was excellent against San Diego. Akeem Ayers has been great for them from day one, and we know how much Belichick values versatility in special teams. These guys bring that to the table, so I fully expect them both to be back for the, with the Patriots for another season. And finally, the running back conundrum. You have three of them that are going to be uh, – unrestricted free agents and Steven Ridley, who unfortunately uh, tore both his ACL and MCL and has some time uh, to come back. Brandon Bolden, who has, uh, you know, proven himself a very, uh, very capable special teams player and every once in a while getting the running, uh, the uh, running back duties and Shane Vereen, who is invaluable uh, in the passing game out of those three, who do you think has the best chance of coming back for the Patriots? I would say the best chance goes to your favorite of the trio, Brandon Bolden. He's not that expensive. His role is more on special teams than anything else. And Shane Vereen's replacement is already here in James White. Steven Ridley, I know a lot of people think that he's gone at the end of the season because of the injury. Blount is locked up for next season. Jonas Gray is as well. And so I think that Steven Ridley is gone. Shane Vereen, though, I know that James White could step into that role. I'm just not ready to – I just don't have the same expectations for White as I do Vereen. I think Vereen is a more talented player, and I think it might be a mistake to let him go. They've gotten production out of that type of passing back for years. You know, Kevin Falk, Danny Woodhead. Now, Vereen, I don't think they're quite ready to pass that torch to James White. I agree with you there, and I wouldn't be too surprised um, if they basically used the Danny Woodhead uh, contract that he signed um, as, as a as a barometer. Uh, you know, I loved me some Danny Woodhead. I thought Danny Woodhead was the perfect Patriot, and I was upset when he uh, when he was. Uh, allowed to move on, uh, and he had a phenomenal first year um, 
with the uh, with the San Diego Chargers so much so that they uh, re-signed him. Unfortunately for for Danny Woodhead, um, you know he got injured, but um, he uh, you know he's got uh, he signed a three-year, seven point two five million dollar extension with the San Diego Chargers. I think that's what you have to pay Shane Vereen if you want to keep him. I do like James White. I think he could do the same things that. Green could, although I'm still a little, you know, he's only got on the field a few times this year, so uh, that'll bear watching. But again, great win by the New England Patriots last week against the San Diego Chargers. Hat t-shirt availability game this week. Hopefully the Patriots can uh, turn around and uh, become extremely uh, successful and win the next three games and get home field advantage throughout. And kudos to the New England Patriots for going 5-1 and one on a six-game uh, stand that a lot of people in the media, a lot of people like myself included, um, you know, thought that they, uh, if they went 3-3, three and three, that would be great. And they turn around and go 5-1, and one, and the one loss was a five-point loss at Green Bay Packers in Lambeau Field. So kudos to the New England Patriots for a 5-1 and one stretch. Yeah, you look at how they played, including on the road. And like you just said, I know they lost to Green Bay, but only by five points. They played Aaron Rodgers and that Packers offense as tough as anyone has all season, especially in Lambeau Field. So that loss, while it hurt, still the way they played, there was a lot of positives to be taken out of that. And how they looked through the six-game stretch, they were phenomenal and really seem to be firing on all cylinders. So it'll be interesting to see now if they can finish out the season strong, which didn't happen last year, because home field is once again at stake, and they need to claim it. Exactly. So for Bobby Kravitsky, I'm Jeff Kane. Thank you for listening to the Patriots Beat. Join myself and Patrick Shankauer immediately following the New England Patriots versus Miami Dolphins game this coming Sunday on CLNS Radio as we broadcast the CLNS Radio Patriots post-game show. You can call into the show there, 347-215-7771. Enjoy your week, everyone. I'll catch you after the game. Bobby and I will be back next week for another edition. Sports Talk Radio, CLNS Radio.